Before we get into the episode, we want to let you know we are gathering another Attaching to God learning cohort. In it, you will escape your anxious jungles and avoiding deserts of faith and grow into secure attachment with God and with others. This is a one-of-a-kind six-week cohort combining recorded teachings and live cohort calls. So you can get all the details at embodiedfaith.life slash learning dash cohorts or see the show notes for details after the description. Why do we sometimes do the things we don't want to do? Why are we so often at war with ourselves and what can we do about it? If you have any of those similar questions, if you're tired of negative feelings and destructive patterns and you don't know how to get out of it, then settle in and we're going to talk about all these things. My name is Jeff Holsclaw and this is the Being With Podcast where we're looking at neuroscience and faith. And today... We're joined with Sid on the show. She is a transformational coach Hi, and spiritual director. And we also have written books together. We're married. So, <laughs> and lastly, uh, this show is brought to you by Grassroots Christianity, which is seeking to grow faith for everyday people. And today we are so glad to have Jenna Reimersma. I knew I was going to say it. Reimersma, who is a Harvard-educated innovator, therapist, and the founder and clinical director of the Atlanta Center for Relational Healing. She brings together neuroscience, clinical treatment, and spirituality. So she's perfect for the show. Uh, She's creating a dynamic paradigm for moving from mental illness to mental fitness, and she has written an award-winning, best-selling book called All Together You, which integrates spirituality and parts-based awareness. Jenna, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yes. Well, I like to start off by just asking people kind of a personal question, which is, well, how did you get into all this stuff? You know, I know it's your profession and things like that, but how is it that you kind of entered into this work and why are you so excited about it right now? This work changed my life. Um, So I have been a therapist for a long time and have been uh, trained in many different modalities for treating trauma and integrating that with spirituality. And when I encountered a model of therapy called Internal Family Systems or IFS, it just turned my world upside down and it has changed my life as an individual. It's changed my faith journey. And it has changed the lives of countless numbers of clients that I have worked with and I've seen how effective it is. And when, uh, when I first was introduced to it, I realized even though it's a secular model, it was describing and offering the promises that my faith journey had extended, um, but in a way that was really tangible and applicable. So it's very exciting to me. Oh, that's great. And we're going to get into all that. When, when we, when I was launching this podcast, uh, we talked about the need for integration. That we need like vertical integration, like in our nervous systems, and uh, horizontal integration, like left and right, all these types of things, and integration with our, you know, the people in our lives, and how do we live with God and ourselves and others. But what you bring, which we're going to get into, is you kind of bring this piece of how do we become integrated with the different parts that are in mm-hmm. us, not just mm-hmm. the different people that are in her lives. So Sid, you kind of have this, uh, this part in her book altogether. Um, yeah, you. I just wanted to read a little bit from your introduction. Um, first of all, because I think when we talk about books, but people don't know what your tone sounds like, it's like, is that a book I actually want to read or not? So I just wanted to, you know, um, your tone is so readable. And I just wanted to just highlight this because it sort of captures the this wrestling. So you have from your um, first chapter, why are we so stuck? Um, Different faith traditions might use different language, but the implied and sometimes stated promise is likely to be the same. If you just become more spiritually minded, you won't feel those negative feelings or do that bad stuff. You'll stop struggling. The problem comes when we try to force a spiritual solution without first asking or caring about the whys. If we don't know why we have those feelings or act in those ways, we'll have no idea how to address what's really going on or what is really or what we really need God to heal. We will simply align with the parts of us that doesn't want the part that doesn't want to feel or do those things against the part that does and war breaks out inside. And then I love how you say, I believe this breaks the heart of God. 
Scripture reveals a God who encourages us to cry out to him. I think God says to our hurt and pain and our messy process, bring it, child, bring it. I'm right here with you in it. And I just love this. To me, that sounds like the gospel. That's the good news. The good news is that no matter what kind of mess we're in, God is saying, bring it, bring it to me. And so I just love the way that you integrate the, you know, the parts of us that are at war um, rather than allowing them to continue at war, giving them a space to move toward each other and, and moving toward each other with our with our core self. So in order to help people understand what we're even talking about with the parts at war, could you just give us a really brief and concise overview of what is internal family systems? Sure. Internal family systems was developed about 40 years ago by Dr. Richard Schwartz. And it is just a way of understanding how we function as human beings, that we all have a core, a core self is what he calls it. I call it the core God image that we are all made in, and it is fundamentally positive and good. Uh, I would argue because it reflects the image of God. And we all then, in addition to that core self, have many different parts. And our parts can become burdened through sin and trauma. And when our parts are burdened, we develop three particular types of parts. We have burdened exile parts that are our vulnerable parts that carry our painful emotions like shame, sadness, anxiety, brokenness, loneliness, a sense of worthlessness. We have our proactive, protective parts. They're the ones that are trying to prevent us from feeling the pain of those exiles. Those are things like people-pleasing, control, perfectionism, uh, spiritualizing. And then we have reactive, protective parts. Those are the parts that when we do feel the pain of our exiles, they jump in and try to put it out. So those are things like all the addictions, alcohol, sex addiction, uh, drug addiction. Those are things like eating disorders. Those are things like self-harm, suicidal ideation, homicidal ideation, dissociation. So really it is a uh, simple, straightforward way of understanding how we function as humans. We all have a core self and three different parts, exiles, managers, and firefighters. Yeah. And I, that description really simplifies. And I think as people are listening, I hope you can think about oh, yeah, those things that I do, maybe there's um, something to that. And I love how you talk about how there are no bad parts, just misguided or um, you kind of misguided friends. Can you say a little bit more about that, about how there are no bad parts? I mean, no one wants to think suicidal ideation is a good part. So can you mm. say more about that? I would absolutely argue that any of us who have parts of us, and that's an important concept, um, if we're feeling or doing something that we don't particularly want to feel or do, it is not all of who we are. It is a part of us. It's a part of our experience. And I think that's a really important distinction that that in and of itself is so helpful. Um, but what we know is that we were created in the image of God and pre- Eden, however you want to understand the, the garden story, either literally or figuratively, uh, we had no sin, no burdened parts. So we all just had the many different parts of our unique personalities. But as soon as sin, or what I would call clinically trauma, entered the picture, all of a sudden we see burdened parts. We have fear, we have shame, we have hiding, we have blame shifting. Um, and so right away, we notice that there are these exiles and protective parts that come up. And what we know when we understand who we are through this lens of parts is that all of these parts are either vulnerable parts of us that have lost uh, their core essence underneath the covering of sin or trauma. So they're now covered over with negative emotion like shame or sadness or loneliness or they are parts trying to help in some way, either proactively or reactively. So what we know and why this is so critical to understand in today's uh, culture of escalating mental uh, and emotional and spiritual struggles is that all of these parts are in fact good parts. They are trying to help. 
but because of sin or trauma, they've gotten stuck in bad roles. So in other words, the the sin burden, the trauma burden overlays on top of the good part and it gets stuck doing the role that that sin burden has created in it. So for example, a suicidal part is a part of us that is trying to help us not feel the pain of our exiles, which might be worthlessness, fear, overwhelm, loneliness, shame, hopelessness, despair. And suicidal parts tend to jump in when other solutions don't seem to be working to help the pain. And so it is a good part, meaning it's trying to help the pain stop. It's just gotten stuck in a bad role. And that the solution ultimately is not to move against it, which is what we do in the clinical world. It's what we do in many faith communities. It's what we do culturally, socially. We tend to move against the parts of ourselves that we don't like or that don't feel comfortable. And that, I believe, is why our rates of suicide, of addiction relapse, of uh, mental health issues and struggles, anxiety and depression are so high is because moving against it makes it worse. When we move against parts of ourselves that are trying to help, they don't feel appreciated, they feel threatened, and they tend to react and push back and get stronger. And what we find is that when we move toward these parts with curiosity and compassion to understand how they're trying to help, they actually soften and settle back and no longer have such a strong need to take over. And so this very counterintuitive awareness that the most effective way to help ourselves change our behavior, change our feelings that we don't like is to move toward it rather than moving against it. Yeah, that makes so much um, that and that makes so much sense because of um you know with attachment theory too of the idea of attunement moving I see you, I hear you, I'm I understand you, I'm with you. I'm not leaving you, I'm with you in this and I'm for you. And yes. so that sense of moving toward a part with compassion and presencing and and attachment um mm-hmm. allowing it to be there and I like how you connect that with the welcome of Jesus too, who Jesus is always moving towards people who are in the most pain and Jesus is moving toward the parts in pain, never pushing away. Mm-hmm. You want- so you, and you already mentioned the, the kind of different uh, labels you put on the parts and you've talked about the exiles, but can you kind of explain a little bit more of why are some of these parts exiles and what does that mean? And how does, how does that happen kind of? Like within us. Yeah, maybe what's going on in the brain too. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. So our exiled parts, again, those are the parts of us that become covered over with the burden of trauma or in Christianese, we would call that the burden of sin. And so it might be a very young part of us that is playful and spontaneous and a little bit messy and disorganized. And perhaps when we were young, we may have had a perfectionistic parent, let's say, who was very rigid or controlling or needed things to be very tidy and uh, shamed us for having that playful, spontaneous messiness. And so that young part becomes covered over with the burden of shame Mm -hmm. that something about me is bad or wrong or broken. So the young, spontaneous playfulness is still there, but it's gotten covered over, kind of like a cloak is over the top of it. And now, even though we might be 50 years old, uh, if we are in an environment that reminds that part of us that carries the shame about that shame, it will get activated and will lose access to the qualities of our core self, which are always fundamentally positive and we will suddenly be flooded with that feeling of shame. And the reason that these parts are called exiles is because the whole rest of our system internally, all the rest of our parts would like to keep them locked in the basement and exiled because we don't like to feel those feelings. We don't want to feel shame. And that's why our reactive parts, the parts that are called firefighters, jump in so quickly to try to put that out. So Maybe they have a glass of wine or uh, work really, really hard so that they stay busy and don't have to feel the shame. Or maybe they uh, cut 
so that they don't have to feel that pain, or perhaps they have suicidal ideation or look at porn or uh, shop on Amazon or shoe shopping <laughs> There's or eat chocolate. There's many, many different ways that our mm-hmm. reactive parts jump in. But the goal is of our burdened parts is to try to lock the yucky stuff in the basement, which is kind of what the Pharisees like to do. They had a very move against sort of a philosophy. They like to move against the sinners and move away from the yucky stuff. And Jesus, by contrast, showed up on the earth And he moved toward all the hard stuff. He moved toward the lepers. He moved toward the cross. He moved toward the storm. He moved toward the woman caught in adultery. And he was with, in fact, that was his name. His essence was Emmanuel, God with us. And neither do I condemn you was his message of love and compassion. And that, that experience of God with was healing. And so, In this way of understanding the complexity of who we are, we simply take what Jesus did in the outside world and we turn it inside so we can connect with the God image within us and we let that God image be with or Emmanuel, our vulnerable, hurting, addicted, compulsive, you know, over-functioning parts. And that is profoundly healing and profoundly the message of grace. Mm. Amen. And so as you're talking, I'm just like thinking through these other kind of questions of self-control and Mm -hmm. willpower. And so often we, you know, New Year's resolutions where we're kind of (laughs) making all these commitments, you know, and oftentimes that's just like feeding into probably our, our managers or our firefighters and wanting to kind of, you know, take care of these things. And they don't usually get at the exiles that are within us that are kind of the reason why, you know, all these things are kind of happening kind of within us exactly so then how does um how does this understanding of parts um how does this help us then move closer to god and the the image of god within us how do we start integrating uh these different kind of things we've already talked a little bit about compassion and moving toward and things like that but what are the what are the different kind of pathways then to kind of bring these parts kind of together or is that the right way to say it (laughs) It is a process of integration and first of unburdening. And I think that's a reflection of of God that it is a come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. I will transform you. I will unburden you. And that is, in fact, what we see with this understanding that the God image within us, which is at our our deepest core that connects to the divine, you know, outside of us, uh, really has that... um, that power to bring healing or unburdening to our parts. And when we think that we are just one monolithic entity, which is the way the majority of the world thinks I am me. When we think that way, we over identify. So we will say things like I am an addict or I am codependent or I am anxious or I am depressed. We make global statements as though that quality, that feeling was all of who we are. And when we begin to understand, we actually have many different parts and each part has different feelings, different goals, different ways of helping us, different ways of viewing the world. It begins to really give us dimension to this experience of being human and how we encounter the divine. And what many people experience when they quote, come to Christ or enter into his quote, saving relationship with Christ or have a deeply transformational spiritual experience, I would argue is that they have connected to that experience of the God image within. And and if you have had that type of experience, very often we would call that a mountaintop experience or a transformational encounter with God. Uh, it is wordless. There is a, it's sensory, it's wordless, it's somatic. What we know is the orbital uh, medial prefrontal cortex activates and just in the brain in terms of neurochemistry, what's happening is there's a relaxing back of, um, 
of a lot of the synaptic firing that is typically in place when our parts are active. And it's really, a con there's a connectivity that happens neurologically in the brain that is um, building new neural pathways is very powerful and it's experiential. But what happens is if you're like me and you're, you have a lot of proactive parts, you have manager parts, those are the proactive guys who look at that experience and go, ooh, I want more of that. Mm -hmm. And they become burdened trying to help us get more of that good God stuff. And so they start striving and efforting. Mm -hmm. And these are the parts of me. You probably don't have these parts, but I have these parts. <laughs> um, you know, 25 years into my faith journey, here I am and just discovering this. But I had these really strong striving parts. And they had a little bit of people pleaser and a little bit of perfectionism and a little bit of do it right, do it perfectly, know the right answer, um, know lots of stuff, very intellectual parts. And they got kind of burdened over with this spiritual striving. Some people call this spiritual bypass. And they start striving or efforting to make it over there to that God experience and feel that again, or do it right so that God won't be mad or so that we won't tarnish God's reputation or so that, you know, all of these things. And so these parts of me that are spiritualizing parts are very good parts. Okay. They've gotten stuck in a bad role. They're efforting with a lot of spiritual behavior and a lot of spiritual language, but they're a really good part. It's a part that wants me to be closer to God and pleasing to God and pleasing to God's people. But if you're like me, what happened was those striving parts took me over very often. They were the parts of me that I was living my faith out of. And what happened was they knew a lot of stuff and they taught a lot of things, a lot of Bible studies and VBS and took casseroles to people and mm -hmm. went on mission trips and did all the things. And if, if you, I knew all the right answers and in my quiet time, I had all my theology books stacked up next to me in the Greek and the Hebrew. Um, these were very efforting parts and they were very sincere. And they were mostly in my um, prefrontal cortex. These were knowing parts. Those are not experiencing parts. And so what happened was my faith journey would become very fatiguing mm -hmm. and very empty feeling where I was doing all the right things and, you know, looking the right way and saying the right things and praying the right prayers and doing all these things. But it didn't have that feeling of deep connection. And underneath it all was this sense that if God really knew me, he really wouldn't be too happy with me. He really wouldn't like me all that much. I mean, he kind of has to love me because he's God. And I don't know, that's sort of in his job description, right. but he doesn't really like me very much. And all these yucky other parts of me that do and feel bad things that I don't want to do and feel like anxiety or fear um, and so these striving parts would show up using a lot of God language. And what happens is we don't in modern sort of faith circles um, know, or at least in, in the faith communities that I have participated in, no one ever explained to me the difference between my striving spiritualizer parts and the God image within. And it was a very confusing experience um, because I was sort of told by grace who have been saved is by faith alone, blah, 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 blah. But what was messaged to me non-verbally was you need to get up and you need to get up early and you need to have your prayer time and you need to serve in VBS and we could use some folks here and you go on this mission trip. You need to reach people for great. You have to do, 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 no, 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 no. And my parts just got so tired and it wasn't working. And then, and then we kind of enter into this dark night of the soul. <laughs> Where are you, God? Or we go through a season of suffering or those types of things. And then very often when the suffering overwhelms our hardworking spiritualizer managers, we do drop into that deep connection with the divine. And we have that experience that God is carrying us through. Um, but the difference is that the way that we encounter God is not through these efforting parts. That's actually separating us from the true experience of God within us. The way we encounter God is by welcoming these parts, becoming curious about what it is that they're afraid might happen if they didn't effort and strive so hard. That helps them relax and separate, and that allows us to experience 
that felt sense of the fruit of the spirit. And I never understood that that scripture that the fruit of the spirit was just going to poof out of you. And if you're just hiding in the vine, you're just going to poof all over the place with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And I'm like, I don't know about you people, but I got to work kind of hard for that poof (laughs) of the whole thing. Like there's no poofing happening here. And the beautiful thing about understanding ourselves in this way is that the the core God image is like the sun. It's always there in the sky, but sometimes clouds get in front of it. And when clouds obscure it, we can't see it and we don't have access to that warmth, but it's still there. So when my spiritualizer part takes over, I can't see, I can't experience the God image within me, but when it feels welcome, it doesn't have to work so hard and it can step back. And then the sun just poof, it just comes out again. And in fact, that's what we find happens. Yeah. So you've, you've talked a little, you've talked a little bit about the, you know, the core God image self and then the parts and how parts can come forward and block that just for people listening. How, how can we know whether we're operating out of our core God self or whether we're operating out of a part? Like how can people distinguish the difference? Yes, that is such a great question. So in my book, Altogether You, I um, have kind of labeled the magic question. I call it a spiritual MRI. This one very simple question helps us to do a quick spiritual MRI to detect if we have any parts that are blended with us or have taken us over, or if we're connected to some amount of that core God energy, that core God image. And the question is simply, how do I feel toward fill in the blank? So if I'm in a conversation with someone who, let's say, is from a different faith orientation or a different political party or no faith orientation, perhaps they're an atheist or an agnostic. My question to myself, if I want to take a spiritual MRI, is how do I feel toward this person? Now, if I feel anything other than the qualities of self, So in IFS terms, remember, IFS is a secular model of understanding human behavior. I've integrated it with with Christianity. So in IFS terms, um, the qualities of that core self are eight Cs, calm, connected, curious, compassionate, courageous, these kind of C qualities that are connected. I think in Christianity, especially with the filling of the Holy Spirit, we would call these the fruits of the Spirit, love, Mm -hmm. joy, peace, patience, kindness. But in any event, if I ask myself, how am I feeling toward? And I notice, "Mm, I'm feeling kind of compassionate, but in a less than way. So I feel like that person is less than me. Their experience is less than mine. And I have this agenda to kind of convince them that my way of thinking is the right way. I'll notice that I'm not reflecting the eight C qualities. Um, Now that's pretty stealth. That's often how my spiritualizer manager feels because we have been trained with our spiritualizing parts to feel that um, pity or um, you're wrong and I'm right. And let me listen to you just long enough to begin to persuade you why my perspective is correct, that that is love, but it's a very different experience. That's a, pejorative kind of uh, experience. And that is not that quality of that core self. When I'm in my God image, there is this connection, this deep sense of you and I are, we're human. We have a common human bond together. And I have deep regard for your life experience, for your feelings, for your behaviors, for your perspective. And I'm deeply curious about how it is that you see the world the way you do. I am more interested in knowing what is it like to be you than in pushing my agenda on you. And I have deep regard and respect for your autonomy. And we see this, Jesus lived this out like crazy. Mm. Somebody would approach him and say, Hey, how do I, I want to be like you. Like, how do I do that? I want to walk like you. Talk like <laughs> you. Yeah. And Jesus says, Hey, take up your cross and follow me. Or he says, Hey, just one word. I got one word for you. Here it is. You ready? You taking notes? love. Yeah. And the person goes, I don't, I don't think I can do that. Or that's a little, hang on, I got to go run back and uh, make sure the stove's turned off. And Jesus says, great. Like, bless you in that. He does not force an agenda on someone. He does not compromise truth. Notice those are two different things. I can hold very 
um, attentively and respectfully to my experience of truth without forcing an agenda on someone else. And Jesus lived this out in spades very beautifully. And so um, notice the difference. And if I ask myself, how do I feel toward this person that I'm talking to or this event or this political party or this racial group? Notice this transcends just mm-hmm. uh, interpersonal or intrapersonal. Mm-hmm. It is very much um, about group to group or politic to politic or race to race, um, socioeconomic group to socioeconomic group. How do I feel toward people of that other race? Well, I'm afraid. Ah, I'm not in my core self. How do I feel toward that other political party? I feel hatred. I feel mm-hmm. judgment. I feel condemnation. Ah, I'm not in my core self. How do I feel toward this other person? I feel rescuing, caretaking. I'm not in my core self. How do I feel toward this other group? I feel deeply curious and compassionate for their experience and connected to them as a fellow human. Ah, now I'm in my core God image. And so that that spiritual MRI question, how do I feel toward, really tells us everything we need to know. Well, and I really liked uh, how you're bridging the internal family systems with also larger social and group dynamics is that yes. we, um, as groups, we can have, you know, exiles. We, we can yes. have all the similar exiles because we have a yes. similar maybe group trauma. Uh, yes. and then we're also trained into kind of our firefighter and manager patterns. We receive <laughs> that from our parents. And so, you know, people, you know, we're, we're told to eat chocolate to comfort themselves by their parents to deal with their exiles, then you're more likely to do that or addictions mm-hmm. and things like that. And that's mm-hmm. true for different people groups. And so uh, it's not a mystery that we all kind of do similar things because we're all learning from each other, but yes. we still do have these internal parts that are pretty unique. And so uh, mm-hmm. we need to kind of have compassion for ourselves, compassion for others. And then, like you said, you know, as we are with just very different people in different groups, um, we're all kind of groups do the firefighter kind of work yes. too, and groups do yeah. the managing and groups have their own exiles. And so I think that's, it's really important. So I just really like that, that last part where it's, it's not just inside of us, but it's bigger than that. Yeah. I would love to ask you a question. This came from, um, you know, when I've shared your work with others, um, there have been two common questions that have come up when I've shared your stuff with other people. One of them has been, um, all parts of me can't be welcome because I am a sinner. Mm-hmm. So can you address that one before the other one? I love that question. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's so good. That's so good. So notice what was Jesus's stance towards sinners? Right. He, he welcomed them and he helped them to unburden from their unhelpful ways of coping. So I'm thinking of the, um, if we just look at the classic example of the Pharisees who kind of lived out, they embodied uh, and they get a bad rap because like, we're all Pharisees too. Like I have Pharisee parts. So I feel very compassionate toward the sweet guys who they take a bad rap, but they were really trying hard to strive and do it right. And I have parts that try to do that. But anyway, they go set this poor woman up in adultery and then they drag her out naked in the public square and say, ha ha, we have found the worst of the worst. And so they are moving against in such a way that they are even going to murder someone um, out of their spiritualizing efforting. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes the parts of us that are efforting so hard to please God are in fact the most destructive parts of us. Yeah, yeah. They're very well intentioned. They're not trying to be destructive, but can be the very things that are accomplishing the reverse mm-hmm. of what we want to accomplish. The reverse. And, um, oh, Boy, I could talk a lot about that. All of our all of our burdened protector parts do that. They they think they're making it better in the short run and they wind up making it worse in the long run. And that's true whether it's people pleasing and perfectionism or whether it's alcohol addiction and porn and murder. Um, so anyway, they move against this woman and Jesus does what? He moves toward. He moves toward her. He sees who she is, a child of God underneath this burden of sexual acting out and he does not see her as a monolithic singular entity she is an adulteress notice that would be how the pharisees would identify her she is this bad behavior and if you and i have ever self-identified in that way i am such a loser 
I can't control my eating. Um, I'm just an anxious person. I'm so um, uh, depressed. I'm, I am an addict. If we've ever identified in that way, we get it. We know what it's like to think in those very simplified terms. Right. Jesus, Jesus doesn't work that way. He walks up to her. He sees the whole of who she is, all of her parts, how they've gotten stuck in some unhelpful roles and who she truly is at her core. And he looks straight through the burdened part that is burdened with the sin of trying to help her by acting out sexually. And he says, I see you. That behavior that one part of you is engaged in is not who you are. And I am Emmanuel, God with you. And I know you are not that behavior. Yes. A part of you has gotten stuck in that unhelpful role. Um, but that's not who you are. And by being with that transforms, that burden releases because the presence of Christ is healing. And he says, now, sweet one, go and live out who you truly are. Yeah. And there is, um, yes, these parts are covered over with a burden of sin. It's not who they are, who that part. And I'll tell you from, okay, so in here in my clinical office, my center, we we uh, specialize in working with complex trauma. And so we have a lot of people dealing with addiction who come to seek care here. So many, many people who are struggling with sexual acting out, porn addiction, affairs, prostitution, strip clubs, you name it. We see a lot of people just like this woman caught in adultery. The sexual acting out is not who they are. Who they are at their core is that God image within them. But a part of them has gotten stuck acting out sexually, trying to help them uh, not feel pain. And for most of our clients, the exile behind it is shame. Mm -hmm. So they have experienced early life trauma of some sort, abuse, neglect, enmeshment, uh, whatever it might be. And their exiles have gotten covered over with this burden of shame. And when that shame gets activated, so in clinical work, we call that a trigger it gets activated. Woo! All of a sudden I'm flooded with shame. I'm such a horrible person. I did it wrong. Nobody likes me. If people knew what I really thought, they wouldn't, they wouldn't love me. And bam, the sexual acting out jumps in and is like, I'll help with that shame. Cause if we just look at porn for a couple of minutes, you're going to not feel that shame. You'll feel chosen. You'll feel that electricity of sexual connection and it's going to be better. I promise. And it jumps in with that promise and it does help for 30 seconds. Yeah. And then five minutes later, it makes it worse, but that's not a bad part. It's a part trying to help, but it's gotten stuck in a bad role that that role of sexual acting out is laying over the top of this good part. And if we can help that sexual acting out part have access to the God image within, it can heal but it has to heal the God image has to heal the shame first, because otherwise this part can't stop doing what it's doing. And this is a really important distinction between true, I believe, depth, godly healing and spiritualizing. Mm-hmm. Our spiritualizing managers are polarized with all of the firefighter parts that jump in reactively to try to take the pain away. So drinking Uh, eating Oreos, binge shopping, binge watching Netflix, dissociating, uh, drugging, sexual acting out, um, all of those things. Um, Everybody's got firefighters. And when we have spiritualizers, the firefighters take over and then the spiritualizer yells at them. And what we often think is, quote, being godly is ganging up with the spiritualizing part to beat up on the firefighter part. And it doesn't work. And that's why a lot of people have this experience. I've prayed. I've asked God yes. to, to lock this part of me in the basement and kick it out of the system. And this idea that the part that's doing that behavior is, quote, bad or evil or sinful, and that we need to, we need to kick it out of the system. And A, that's not how God works. B, we can't do that. And C, that is going to lead to a spiritual crisis of faith because it is not going to work. You cannot pray those things away. Um, The manager will take over for a while and try to pray it away and lock it in the basement. And then the firefighter is going to go, hey, I'll show you. 
That's not the way true God image healing works. God image goes, oh my goodness, sexual acting out part. Welcome. Where did you first learn how to try to help this person not feel pain in that way? Mm -hmm. Oh, when Joe was five and his parents were fighting and he was scared and alone and powerless and you stumbled, he stumbled across dad's stash of Playboy and suddenly he felt better for a little minute and you got burdened with this behavior. Mm -hmm. Oh, that makes so much sense. Would you be interested in knowing if there's a better way to help him not have to feel shame? And oh, spiritualizing part, where did you first learn how to try to help Joe um, not feel spiritual pain by, by trying to do it perfectly? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, that's, what your mom taught you that, or your, you know, whoever it was, or what you heard preached in the pulpit since the time you were three, that, that God hates you if you're doing those things. Oh my gosh. Well, you must be exhausted. Thank you for trying to help be pleasing to God in that way. Would you be interested in knowing if there was a better way to do this? And these parts, they just go, Oh, thank you. Finally, somebody is not either ganging up against me or ganging up with me and I don't have to fight all the time. And it's actually not my job to heal this. It's God's job. And that is a deeper, that's an inside deeper job mm. and it's yeah. profoundly healing. And if all we do is lock some parts in the basement, which is what um, kind of more surfacey level, let's say addiction treatment is, if we don't do that deeper work of healing the exile and we just take, let's say the alcoholic part and lock it in the basement, First of all, it's likely to get mad and jump back out frequently, which is why our relapse rates are so high in traditional addiction work. But if it stays locked in the basement, what we're going to notice is we're going to get escalating firefighters. If we don't heal the exile that's driving it, then we're going to gain 30 pounds because now the eating firefighter has to take over for what the alcohol part was doing. Or we take up smoking or we start overworking or compulsively exercising or suicidal thoughts start coming into our mind where we weren't you know, didn't have suicidal ideation previously. It's because the firefighter, somebody has got to put the pain out. If we haven't dealt with the shame right. that's driving it, locking somebody in the basement is not going to help. Yeah. Oh, that is also so great. So thank you so much. Yeah. While you were kind of walking through like how to tenderly kind of like welcome those kind of exiled burden parts, uh, yes. like you were kind of exhibiting compassion for them, you know, mm -hmm. compassion exactly. also. I'm sure for your clients and curiosity and, too, asking the questions. Yeah. And, yes. and I, I think a lot of times like self-compassion, I think people are learning is kind mm -hmm. of a, a better indicator of kind of mental health and spiritual maturity rather than like self-esteem because self-esteem could be yeah. kind of that, that manager taking over. Like I feel really yeah. good about myself because I'm following all the rules that I give myself or that I receive mm -hmm. from others. And uh, or I'm getting all this affirmation because I'm, you know, or I believe I can do anything. Right. But self-compassion yeah. is more of the like, oh, like this is a broken part of myself that, you know, God, you know, lived and died for. And I need to learn how to welcome and he's going to help me mm -hmm. know how to do that all together. And, it, you know, it, in the Christianese, you know, the spiritualizing, we often talk about being broken. And I just mm -hmm. think what you're talking about actually kind of helps us really understand, well, what does it yes. mean to be broken? Well, it's, it means we have these little parts <laughs> and yeah. these parts are doing different things. And instead of sweeping all those parts away and say, oh, we're broken, but Jesus has forgiven me. It's no, Jesus is taking all those parts and is, you know, welcoming them like the little children and mm -hmm. is integrating them and, yes. and restoring and redeeming. And so it's yes. not just getting rid of. And so just the way that you've been talking about it, and uh, it's just been so helpful to kind of bring together some of those things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I the last thing I think um, is that people have, have responded to this and said, I, it's just weird. I can't, I can't <laughs> talk to a part of myself that's yes. too weird. Yes. So what would part. you say about that? Yeah, right. It's like, yeah, there's this yeah. just like, that's weird. I don't have multiple personalities. I'm not just going to sit and talk to myself as if I'm someone else. Like, that's weird. Totally. So what do you do with that? I love it. This is such a good question. I, I have that part too. I'm like, this is so bizarre. Um, <laughs> but first, can I come right back to that? I want to, I want to just make one statement about the word brokenness, because this, um, I think is so a pivotal, so many church ministries who are ministering to a quote issue like sexual acting out or alcoholism, it's labeled brokenness. 
So if I go to a ministry for sexual brokenness or <laughs> brokenness in some area, what's the message that's being communicated to me? Mm-hmm. I'm broken. Yeah. There, there's something wrong oh. with me. Yeah. And interesting, that's actually a trauma message. Mm-hmm. That is not actually the message that God speaks to me. And so I, um, I noticed that that phraseology of brokenness is, um, and it's also an, I'm not broken and I'm ministering to you who are broken. There's a, there's a power differential, which is very pharisaical, um, not a Jesus kind of a thing. Jesus is on our level, like connected, compassionate. And I don't believe that any parts of us are broken. I don't believe that. And I, I would take issue with the terminology. I believe parts of us are burdened mm-hmm. with a burden of trauma. I don't find the word sin to be helpful, although I think that our faith communities, you know, uh, find that that's a meaningful word. I like to use the clinical word, which is trauma or things are not the way they should be. Um, not because I'm a bad person, but because I have a part they got burdened with some kind of pain at some point in my life. And I've got parts of me that got burdened trying to help me with that pain. And it's not brokenness. Nothing about that is broken. It's trauma doing what trauma does. And I don't think Jesus sees it as broken. And I think it's interesting when we have ministries that do title things, brokenness ministries, Mm -hmm. there's a power differential and there's an us versus you. Um, and there's a, we have it all together and you're the broken ones kind of a thing, which I think that message is very much coming out of our spiritualizing parts. But for the, um, for the question of this is so bizarre, like, are you <laughs> sure this is Christian approved? This sounds really new agey. Uh, like, yeah, weird. you're asking like, me to take a piece of myself <laughs> and talk to it out here. That's weird. Totally. Totally. I totally agree. Um, and So you may notice that we naturally talk this way in our daily life. So um, for example, there is a part of me that if there are Girl Scout cookies in the house is going to eat all the cookies all in one sitting, like the whole thing, thin mints. It's just, I'm telling you, it's just going to happen. And then there is another part of me that is very fitness oriented and, and wants me to go to the gym and do my yoga and my prayer and meditation and blah, blah, blah. And those two parts are at war with each other. They have very different goals for me, for my fitness, for my nutrition, for my bodies. And they don't like each other. They fight with each other. And then I have an internal critic part that if my cookie eating part takes me over and I see Girl Scout cookies in the house and I eat the whole box of Thin Mints all at one time, then my critic part jumps up and it starts yelling at me and it goes, you fat slob, you don't have any self-control. What's the matter with you? You already can't wear button pants after a year of COVID. <laughs> now you're going to be in maternity pants. What's the matter with you? And the critic part is a very different part of me than the cookie eating part. And it feels different in my body. It has a very different um, narrative that it's speaking to me. It has different goals for me. So our critic part, those are manager parts that are burdened with them uh, yelling at us because they're trying to help us do it right. So we don't mess up and we don't lose love or approval. Um, So the critic is a good part trying to help me not, not lose love and approval or not wear maternity pants for the rest of my life. Um, But it's gotten stuck in a pretty nasty role. It's not a good role. It's a bad one. Um, But it's a good part trying to help me. And those are different parts. And so we kind of organically kind of speak this way. And so we genu- we generally understand that we do have these different parts, but if that wigs people out, which I totally get, we can just call it aspects, mm-hmm. like that aspect of me that really wants to eat all the cookies. Or we might just, we might just talk about the uh, experience. So like, all right, well, let's get to know your anger. Would you be interested in getting to know your anger? Would you be getting to interest? Would you be interested in getting to know the, the binge eating kind of urge. Um, so we don't have to give it away. It doesn't really matter what we call it. It's, it's just an aspect of who we are. And, and I think most of us can kind of appreciate that. Oh, okay. There are aspects to my experience or I do have different feelings, um, or different behaviors. And so we can just speak to the feeling or the behavior, but I agree, especially when we have super strong spiritualizer parts. That's like, I've never heard this in church. 
And I think this sounds a little <laughs> bit weird. And I think you people are kind of out there. Um, I get it. And that's totally fine. We don't have to call it parts. <laughs> yeah. It, it reminds me of, you know, the cartoons back in the, you know, with like the little angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder, right? The little cartoon, yes. one's whispering in one ear and one's whispering in the other. Like those are the part picture for me sometimes. Um, but I just, I know we're about to wrap up here, but I just want to say it like, thank you again for bringing this work to the church. Um, I think you've done such a beautiful job of taking such a helpful way of understanding ourselves um, and brought it into a way that Jesus can bring deep healing for us. I think sometimes mm-hmm. in the church, we're kind of like, oh, that's psychology. We don't need that. But yeah. the way that you've brought it in is just, and I know I personally have just experienced just an incredible amount of relief mm-hmm. in all the different work that I have done. And then yours has sort of given some language to things that I didn't have language for before. Mm-hmm. And um, just the relief of not having to accuse myself for everything as being sin, but as an, oh, I understand that what I'm trying to do is a good thing. I'm just doing it in a burdened or twisted kind of way. And so I just yes. really appreciate that. And so um, if people want to find you, where can they find you? Yes, they can come to my website, jennareemersma.com. Or if you can't spell that, that's okay. You can just put in, you can put in the name of the book, altogetheryou.com, and that'll take you to my website. And um, the book, of course, is available on Amazon, Altogether You, Experiencing Personal and Spiritual Transformation with Internal Family Systems Therapy. And um, in the book and on the website, I offer lots of free materials so people can actually begin to explore and experience what it's like to relate compassionately to their own parts. Because it's great to kind of know this in the frontal cortex of our brain. It's a whole different thing to experience this in the limbic part of our brain. And that's my hope is that people will really be able to connect with God and connect compassionately with all the different parts of themselves um, through some of the resources there. So altogetheryou.com. Yeah. And I just want to say on that too, like um, she has some great videos moving toward your anxiety, moving toward your anger, and they're free. So I encourage you to go visit. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Uh, And I did drop that you're the link to your site in the show notes so everybody can find right. it there. Again, the book is all together. You experiencing personal and spiritual transformation with internal family systems therapy. Jenna, thank you so much for your yeah, time. Thank you. Uh, it's been so valuable. And thank you. For thank you. Me. Thanks for letting me be on today too. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Great to be with you both. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you.